Hello and welcome to Annersbrook Church. We hope that this message from our lead pastor, Graham Heslop, both empowers and encourages you. To hear more from our church, make sure you subscribe or visit our website at annersbrook.co.nz for a service near you. All right, so good. Welcome, everybody, and a huge welcome to any guests with us this morning. So great to be together. So good to hang out. I want to welcome everyone watching as well online that's joining us uh, right now live. And everybody in Christchurch with Alex and Carissa, we're so pumped that you're joining us right now. Everyone, let's put our hands together and make everyone feel so welcome. Just a reminder, a reminder as well that uh, we've got a parents' room. If you need a parents' room, it's just out to the auditorium out here before the doors to the left, and you'll see double doors there with a live feed of the service. Uh, real cool. Good to have you here. Uh, thanks, band. You guys are ripping it like usual. So good. Uh, Jared actually asked me to share a story that touched his heart during the week, and he asked me specifically to share it, so I thought I would. I didn't know why. I didn't really see the significance or relevance of it, but he, he specifically asked me because I, I just said that it was a birthday like any other, any other, except for this particular year, a card came in the mail with unusual contents. It had no name just a whole heap of rice in it. And that's when I realised it was from Uncle Ben. I don't know why you wanted me to share it. It was weird. Is that good? More. More. (laughs) He's like, more. (laughs) Less. Uh, Really cool. It's so great to be together. Um, We start a brand new series this morning, and so we kick it off here. That, that is going to be a great journey for us all, because this year we've been on a journey called Following Jesus. Uh, It's really amazing because you can work out pretty fast that you can actually do a lot of religious stuff, a lot of God stuff, if you like, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're walking with him uh, or in his footsteps. And uh, we've been discovering that following Jesus is actually the invitation into also being shaped into the image. Shall I smile, Paris? Sorry, there's a photographer up the front. I just never know. Is that good? Is this for my bio? Okay. And so um, we've been discovering that, that that invitation is God's plan to making all things new again. And that's the story of Scripture. It's, a, it's an amazing thing to realize. Um, and, of course, we've got to come to the point where we actually know Christ ourselves. That's really important. Uh, personally, personal experience of knowing Jesus, that's really, really important. And, and everyone here can, all of us. It's not off limits to anyone. We can all know Jesus But the question inevitably comes up, and I guess in this series we're going to aim to answer it, which is, well, how? How are we shaped into the image of Christ? If that's God's plan, not to just get us really religious, how how does that actually work? How does that actually happen? And uh, I I think this is going to be really, really enlightening. So here's a statement that I want to write. If you want to write it down, you can write it down. These are two um, statements. And the first one um, is really, really important. It just goes like this. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. Absolutely nothing. If you found it, then you've done better than the millennia before you. No one has ever found anything that you can do to make God love you more. And how many of us actually truly live our lives on this reality? Very few, it turns out. Because we question it, we doubt it, we we wonder. Don't always feel that. But, it, but it's true. Uh, there's nothing that you can do 
And, and what's amazing too is that um, naturally speaking, there's actually a lot about our lives. I'll take my life for example. There's a lot about my life that should make God love me less. I mean, it, it works on my wife. Like, like there's things that I do that she barely tolerates me, but God, he loves me. <laughs> so, so awesome. <laughs> the, the Apostle Paul went to this length. He said, look, you can't find nothing. Not death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons. Nothing could separate you from the love of God that's in Christ. And he's loved you before you even began. He decided right at the start on how much he would love you. And nothing has changed that. And what's amazing too is, um, you see how comfortable we're, uncomfortable we're feeling? Really uncomfortable. Because you're always, you're coming up with reasons. Now nah, I'm sure that, and I don't know if that's quite right. We, we don't talk about it enough. Not only is there nothing you can do to make God love you more, there is nothing you can do to make God love you less. That's a sermon we could finish right there. What would happen if you believed that? Well, what would happen in every fiber of your being? And it's true, he's poured out this love by the wonderful Holy Spirit into our hearts and lives. So is that it? Is that it? Is that the Christian experience? For many it is. But here's the dichotomy, here's the second statement, and this is the part that maybe sometimes we get a wee bit confused with. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you more, but there is probably a whole heap you could do to become more like Jesus. There's nothing you could do to make God love you more, but there's probably a fair bit that you could do to become more like Jesus. The disciples, the earlier followers of Jesus, found this out pretty fast. The reality of Jesus and his love, the law of Moses did nothing. The Jewish tradition did nothing to touch on the soul. We're like this. We try to um, achieve, own, perform, be someone, but we never find it. It actually doesn't ever touch the interior parts of our life in a real way. But just like them, they find Christ, realize this love, but they go on a journey. And Jesus became to these disciples like a curator. Like with Peter, he would be like, um, Peter, come follow me. I'll make you into a fisher of men. So he's like, yeah, God loves me. I guess that's what he's thinking. Maybe as he realized what he was thinking. And then Jesus would be like, hey, bud, you just need to chill a bit. Hey, mate, watch your language. Hey, buddy, nah, you got it wrong there. Jesus would be like, hey, Peter, drop the knife. He goes, hey, Peter, I don't want to offend you, but Satan is currently operating through you. You know, just, just things... <laughs> I, no, it's true. Read it. It's the truth. It's the Bible. But nothing Peter could do could make God love him more, nor less. But there was stuff going on in Peter, and there's stuff going on in us. And the Apostle Paul, he wrote of this dynamic as well. There's probably a lot we could be doing to become more like Jesus. He wrote of this dynamic when he explains it like a process, okay? Like, think of a process. He said, 2 Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, like they found with Jesus, freedom. Wonderful freedom. Soul freedom. Even though, as Brent was saying, we're not perfect. No one's perfect, but freedom for our souls. Beautiful. Right. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. That glory was like what I said, that God loves you. Nothing you could do could ever make Him love you more. So you're contemplating this reality, are being transformed. That sounds interesting. <laughs> Into his image with ever increasing glory. 
You don't kind of arrive at a point and park and that's kind of you for good, which comes from the Lord who is spirit. So being transformed while having soul freedom, freedom in our soul, living in the love of God while being transformed sounds like a process to me. But how? How does that happen? Well, Jesus actually explained this journey into transformation several times in several ways and we see it working. But I like this scripture that we don't always read the entire passage of often. And there is probably a reason we don't. But I'm going to read it to you. It's probably if you've been around Christendom or the Bible, you would have heard this or church definitely would have heard it. Then the 11 disciples, Matthew 28, went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So this is post-resurrection. When they saw him, this is cool. Some worshipped him, but some doubted. How good has that been in the Bible? No, it's good for me. Because you're on this process, trying to come alive to the things of God, but you're still trying to nut it out. I, I like it because the one that they will be referencing there that some doubted was James. And James was a disciple. And James officially only believed after Christ's resurrection. So he's done three years of seeing miracles, signs, wonders, and he, he doubted. And do you know what the real interesting part of the story is? James shares a mother with someone quite important. Jesus. No wonder he doubted. If either of my three brothers, Phil, Sire, Rich, said I'm the Messiah, I'd be like, I'm finding a new religion straight away. There is no way, no wonder, no wonder. Simon may be less than the other two. But then the, the passage goes on to say this, though, and I, I want you to enter into this moment. This is Jesus' words. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's what happened at the cross and the resurrection. Jesus gave the authority of the earth, which man had lost. Therefore, we know this bit good, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Big surprise this morning, there's a comma. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You can see it there. Speak this good news, this powerful gospel. Baptize them into the Father's love. And then command them to do, do what I have told you to do. What? What are we doing? Please let me know. What are we doing? Okay, there's another example of this in the New Testament. It's really good. It's good to find other examples. Philippians 4. Finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, worthy of respect, whatever is right and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome. Doesn't sound like a world like ours, does it? Uh, whatever is political, no. Whatever is lovely and brings peace. Whatever is admirable and of good repute. If there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think continually on these things. And the Amplified breaks down the Greek. It means center your mind on them and implant them in your heart. The things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, things. There's things that they've seen. In, and he says this, practice these things. <laughs> practice, obey everything. Tell them to obey everything I've commanded. Practice these things in daily life and the God and the God who is the source of peace and well-being will be with you, which is exactly what Jesus said, wasn't it? He said, obey what I've taught you. And Paul says, put into practice the things I've taught you. And both said, the God of peace will be with you or I will be with you. 
Who knew? There's actually practices to following Christ. Who knew? There were practices to the Christian experience. And the result would be the tangible sense of God being amongst us. Are you struggling to sense God being amongst you? Could it be that the practices are not near you either? Is this what happened in Acts? Have you read Acts lately? I've been in Acts over this last three weeks. The life, life, life and more life is flowing. This is like different to simply the omnipresence of God. The earth um, we know has the omnipresence of God and um, heaven and hell in tradition of the scriptures one place is void of the presence, omnipresence of God, but the other is surrounded by the glory of God, the absolute presence of God. One scholar said this, to the believer, to the believer, um, earth is the only hell they'll ever know. But to the unbeliever, earth is the only heaven they will ever know. So we're not just talking about the omnipresence of God, we're starting to explore the manifest presence of God. What does that mean? That means that God is really amongst us. Right. A little bit like today, we're just sensing God's with us, sensing His smile, sensing the God opportunities. You know, it's through practices. It's through obeying what He commanded us to do. It's through putting into practice daily, not weekly, not even fortnightly. Most believers, though, aren't totally aware of this dynamic, and most people who don't know Christ aren't hearing about it. And yet they're looking for the answers. I, I recently got a haircut. Can you tell? Um, someone said no. Well, that's rude. Uh, I paid $35 for you to say no. And this barber knows that I'm a Christian, a Christ follower. Um, him and I have had lots of faith talks and life talks and talks about all sorts of things. And he hadn't seen me in ages uh, because I'd been letting the locks uh, grow, or as Rebecca calls it, going homeless. She would say, you're looking a little bit homeless there. Um, and then he, I turned up at the barber, and he goes, hey, how was Easter? And uh, he said, it's a big deal for you guys, right? Because he knows that I'm a pastor. And this guy actually, he grew up in church, going to church. And I said, mate. God dying and God rising again is a big deal for everyone. It's like, this is not kind of like an event. Um, he asked me a question. He said, um, is God both man and woman? I was like, flip, these questions are great. They're coming out of nowhere. I said, how come? Why do you ask? He said, well, it says that um, God made both man and woman in his own image. So is God both man and woman? So we talked about that, and I, I gave him an answer. And then he said this, you know, I now follow Eastern religions. And I said, oh, okay, cool. I said, which ones? And he said, oh, there's a few of them. And I said, why, why have you found this? What, when you grew up in church, why have you found Eastern religion to be the thing? And he began to tell me some of the things which are practiced in Eastern religion that bring calm and center him. So while he's cutting my hair, I said, oh, yeah. As he named them, I said, many of those things originated in the way. He said, in the what? He said, oh, Christianity was never called Christianity originally. It was only Christianity in Antioch. They gave the name to them as a bit of a tongue-in-cheek thing. But it ended up sticking after a king, a Roman ruler, became a Christian. And uh, shortly after that time, I said, yeah, it was originally called the way. 
He was like, are you serious? I said, yeah, totally serious. Being a believer, you're part of the way. I said, you know, most of what you'll be practising will have originated with early believers of the way. The only difference being that rather than doing the way before a statue, the way of Jesus is practised in community and before a living God. He didn't give me a discount for that spiritual advice. (laughs) But something was sparking in our conversation. And what's a bit scary is a number of years ago, I wouldn't have been able to talk like that with him. Most of us have brought into the idea that if God is at work in your life in a serious way, listen, it's all going to happen for you. A lot of us have brought into the idea that if God is at work in your life in a serious way, that it's all going to happen for you. In his book, The Spirit of Disciplines, Dallas Willard makes an argument for our humanity being something so glorious, our our humanity, a lot like the love of God. But it's also a life of routine, a life that's methodical. Think about it. We wake up, we sleep. Uh, Most of us without little kids. Uh, We just are awake. If we've got little kids, we're just awake. Uh, And we dream of sleep. (laughs) And we resent others who sleep in the bed we're in. Uh, We work, we retire. We eat, we keep on eating. Colossians says that the mystery we can't quite grasp is for the believer, Christ in you. Can't, Can't quite understand that. And it's the mystery because Jesus is wonderful. But it's also a mystery because he would choose to be at home in you, a container of clay. This is the reality of the divine embodied in the ordinary. I mean, it's Christ in you from everlasting to everlasting, this great creator, and also your toenails knee clipping. What? Like, I don't get that. I mean, the the mundaneness of humanity is also glorious. And Willard's argument is like exactly why Jesus and Paul gave us practices because Jesus himself did practices. Jesus practiced a way. He asks Willard, why is it we who are on the ultimate journey of becoming like Christ consider there's less involved practices compared to someone who wanted to get good at golf? He says, why why have we done that? The golf curious would arrange and organise their life in such a way that they would become good at golf. Willard says that believers were told in the 1990s, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Do you remember the bracelet? Did you have a bracelet? I had a bracelet. I think I stole it from my friend, which was not what would Jesus do at all. He would not have stolen it. Um, And what would Jesus do was not a bad question, but it's just a complicated question. Because yes, he would forgive, and yes, he would not react, and yes, he would be the Sermon on the Mount, and those things are all what we should be doing. But Willard says, it's totally fine to ask, what would Jesus do? But to do what Jesus did, wouldn't you have to take upon yourself the character of who Jesus was? Why is it that we think when we ask the golfer, how do I get good of golf? Do the Christian equivalent. Oh, you just get the stick and hit the ball. Oh, you just wear these certain pants. Oh, cool. So I'll get some certain pants, get a stick, get a ball, and now I'm going to be Tiger, am I? Tiger, how did you become Tiger? He will not answer you whether you get the stick and you hit the ball. Like we do with the Beatitudes. Oh, you're just going to be really forgiving and really merciful. Just hit the ball with the stick. Come on, Christian. You've been at this long enough. Just, just heal the sick, would you? Come on, just be 
non-reactive presence in your world, would you? Tiger would say, no, no, no. I immersed my whole life. My whole life was immersed in a way, a dedication so extraordinary that other parts of my life were a little bit out of balance. But for him, it was a total immersive experience. Every opportunity he got, stick the ball, the pants for sure. But, but if, if Christians were golfers, do you know what they would say about getting good? How do you get good at golf? Christian would answer, just believe. That's all right. Just believing is a good idea. But unfortunately, it's not how most of us start. Most of us do not start with just believing. Most of us start with a little bit of doubt, a bit of a question, a crisis. Do you know that I heard the other day, more people have been saved to Christ, experienced new creation by praying the atheist prayer than a sinner's prayer. What's the atheist prayer? God, if you're real, show up. Why have we got to this degree and this point where we say, if you've really got God working in your life, it's all got to be happening. Stick, ball, pants. But meanwhile, there's a whole heap of other things. There's a whole heap of other things. There's other practices that Jesus himself, Luke 2.52 said, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. Listen to it again. He's growing up with God and with man. That doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound right. What, Jesus grew up in wisdom and stature with God, with the Father? Yeah, because he put on such a humanity that he was to come and teach us a new way of being human. And if he just did it automatically without trying, how would we ever find the way? Dang, this is good stuff. <laughs> so I just like to encourage myself once in a while. In other words, if it wasn't automatic for Jesus, why would you think it would be automatic for you? Hey, we do have the powerful friend of the Holy Spirit and the Father like he did. But at least there's putting off of the stuff and the way that we've just done everything and we put on these practices. So what are these practices? What are they? What do we immerse our life into? What is it predicated on? Is this what Jesus meant when he said, if you lose your life for me, you will find it? Was it actually not a metaphor? Was it actually him saying, look, if you put off your way of lifestyle, life habits, life practices, the way that you've been living in this human world, if you put that off and you lose it and you put on my yoke, do you know a yoke is known as a, Peace that ties two things, animals traditionally, together. And he said, if you put, if you become yoked to me, in other words, walk in my ways, this burden will be way lighter for you. Even though it sounds like religion, it's not, it's a lightness, it's a life, it's a clay, it's a jar of clay that can be embodying. And, and and for me, I just I just asked this question. And I don't know if you've ever asked this question. How did we get here? How did we get to a practiceless Christianity? How do we do that? I've actually been asking this question for a couple of years, and I've just been uh, trying to nut it out. I don't know if I've fully nutted it out, but this is some of where I've got to. Can we just do a bit of history to finish this morning? No? Okay, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> to understand practiceless Christianity, we've got to go way back. 1517. Check this out. Um, this man is a man that began through God, a reformation. It was also called, really interesting to know, it was called evangelicalism or the gospelers. Evangelical um, tags stuck more than the gospelers. 
But obviously the church is more than 1,500 years old, but this helps us. It's in recent memory, not our recent memory. But until this time, Rome had a large influence on faith, even though its empire had fallen. And the way that they did religion was restrictive and controlling. And there's a couple of reasons why. Just, just bear with me for a history lesson. Clergy or pastors were the only ones with the Word of God. So Bibles were chained to pulpits. You couldn't get a Bible if you were a follower of Christ. Think about this. Everyday disciples had no access to the Word of God themselves, only a priest. And that meant over time, okay, that they could twist and warp or really commercialize. And they did. But in 1517, a man named Martin Luther, this is a photo of him, nailed a paper to the doors of that religious institute who claimed that admission of sins was not by priest and payment, but he declared that it was by Jesus Christ and faith in him alone for anyone who believes. And that actually just caused a massive spark of renewal. And after that, that same year, the Bible got printed 91 times. It coincided with the printing press being invented right at that moment. God often creates technologies or allows them so things can spread like wildfire. For the next three centuries, 1600s, 1700s, and 1800s, these waves continued. God raised up the likes of the Wesley brothers, John and Charles, who were um, challenging the status quo with two things. This is what they said. You ready? Personal experience with God. And number two, practical methodology. Practice faith daily. They propagated a lifestyle of discipleship rather than just a cold religious idea. And 300 years on, this is still one of the world's largest Christian movements. In the 1800s, Spurgeon and other reformers rose up to stoke the fires because humans tend to just add all the time and take away. Add to the finished work and take away from human responsibility. We're so good at that. But things were about to change again. As the 1900s rolled in, two significant new moves of God did as well. First, Azusa and the Welsh revival, which was known as the Pentecostal move of God. This is where God was pouring out His Spirit in tangible and real ways. Healings, miracles, lives were touched and changed, addictions were broken, entire cities were impacted. In fact, in our own nation, a a man named Smith Wigglesworth came to Wellington in 1922, 100 years ago this year, and he held town hall meetings in the Wellington Town Hall, and thousands of people came and experienced God's touch. Well, after two world wars, massive social change, the next move of God was charismatic. Meshed with the Pentecostal experience of God, it was beginning to experience again a desire to share the gospel, to see people reached in all sorts of places to win back lost sons and daughters. So with so many changes in the 60s to boot, Christianity was being challenged so much. And the likes of Billy Graham, he came into the fray. And for nearly six decades, this man shared... (laughs) That's an older photo of him. Um... (laughs) No? Yes, there we go. (laughs) So good. (laughs) Six decades this man shared the simple and profound message, you must be born again. And it's vital to know that he was sharing it in a world that still had a Christian psyche. Don't lose me now, okay? This is really important. He was sharing it in a world where the culture was not post-Christian yet. So everyone had a basic knowledge 
a basic understanding. But I'm sad to announce to you, the world has changed. Your world that you're living in does not have a Christian psyche. We um, think, the West thinks, we rule the Christian world and we're the great influences of it. But the growing areas of Christianity around the world today, statistically, are sub-Sahara Africa, huge parts of Asia, and South America. In the West, parts of it are in decline. And yet we sell our products like we're still the ones in charge. Let me tell you that even though we're not in a current Christian culture, we're in a post-Christian culture, God still knows what to do in those cultures. God still knows what to do. And what God is doing, I really believe, okay, this is why I'm telling you this, to explain that our churches have sort of, in a way, built our tradition on those two things that were going on in the 1900s. A touch for experience, and there's nothing wrong with that. You've got to keep that in there. That's who God is. And responses to the gospel. And you've got to keep that in. And that's really important that everyone in this room knows today can be the day of salvation for you. But in the middle of those two things, people go to the church, and if they didn't get a touch, they think maybe I'm doing it wrong. And if they responded 20 years ago, what am I left to do? Just watch everyone else respond? No. What we're meant to do is be practicing the way. And then we'll enjoy every touch of the Holy Spirit, every person who responds, and our lives will be transformed into His image. And what I want to sort of say to finish is this, as we go on the journey of following Christ, because today I'm not going to share a single practice with you, because I want you to come back next week. As a team, we've sort of like devised a, a list of what we saw Jesus doing. And next week we're going to tell you a practice, but we're also going to tell you about a rule of life. Because we've all learned how to form and shape our lives and organise our lives in the sort of way that supports our values. And Jesus taught people how to structure their life so that it embraced kingdom values. But I want to say this, that as we go on this journey, which might actually just change us, we have to recognise the tide we fight against. Modern life and its priorities have taken over. And it's good to know that we are fully conditioned today to have our cake and eat it too. We want and yearn for truth and new creation, but we don't want to enter into it fully. We want the stick, the ball and the pants, but we don't necessarily want the get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Hey, put the knife down. Hey, let me lead you into a non-anxious presence, that kind of way of life. And it requires the divine, and it requires the ordinary, it requires faith, and it requires practice. And personally, as I've been on this journey, I've been learning how to practice the way. It has made all those other things that aren't a criticism come to life. I cannot even describe to you how it's come to life, recognising that there is actually a way, and it's the way of Jesus. And it makes sense to a non-Christian culture. It makes sense to them. Because the question is always like, you know the question when they turned up and said, Jesus will forgive your sins, you've been forgiven, and they say this, how then, what should we do to inherit eternal life? Tell us, how should we respond? It's widening us that there would be a journey and there would actually be a way. So to finish, let me say this, you have to sacrifice the wow and the dopamine, which we're not good at. You know, I, I had a phone call with um, my brother yesterday, he's 
He's actually been practicing the way for a couple of years. Philip. And Phil, um, I said, what are you up to this weekend? He said, oh, I decided to go slow this weekend. He said, no mountain biking, no boating, no fishing. He said, I just uh, knew in myself I needed to slow down and I needed to actually let God come and fill this Saturday. And I heard this noise behind me. I said, what's that noise? And he said, I'm wheeling the wheelie bins out to the road. And I did think, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> but you know, we're so, with these mountain bike tracks, you know, and by the way, if you're a mountain biker over 30, you need to get a membership for the rescue helicopter. That's what I, I no, uh, and, and, but, but listen, listen, we're, our, we're so wired. Oh, if I do this, it's just gonna be like electric. No, it might actually be more peace than you ever thought was possible. It might actually be more centered on the love of Christ that you can do. You cannot do anything to make him love you more. But I bet there's a few things in your life as there is in mine that we could do to become more like Jesus. So that's our introduction to this new series called Practicing the Way. And it's going to be interesting. It's going to be good. It's going to be informative. Does it sound at all appetizing to you? I hope it does in Jesus' name. Can we get the band up here? I want to finish this morning by praying. And I want to finish this morning by letting those of you know in the room who you really, really need to know, as if Jesus was standing right here. I don't know that He'd stand on a stage actually, although to be seen He might. But He'd come down and He'd just come and saddle up alongside you. And He would just say this, Hey, come follow me. And you know, you might be here today and you have never, ever accepted what Billy Graham stood in stadiums for six, genera- six, six decades. And he did. That was the offer that Jesus Christ offers salvation to all of us. Well, isn't it awesome? All of us. Do you know, in salvation, this idea, it's a, it's a Greek word, sozo. It is a number of things and it actually means wholeness, completeness. And it actually comes from this idea of being fully and totally accepted and forgiven in God. Reconciled. There's nothing you can do to reconcile yourself. There's nothing. You could never, ever do enough Hail Marys. You could never do enough good works. You could never mow enough lawns. The gap was eternal. No one could get to God because of the fall. But how good is God that He came down to us? And He came down to us. And He comes and He says to you, can I forgive you? Can I accept you? And by the way, it's not just a message of forgiveness. Can I give you everlasting life? (laughs) Can I? Do you want it? Do you need it? I know you need it, but I've been exactly where you are. And a number of times I've thought to myself, man, I I know I need it, but I'm not 100% 100 no I want it. And the reason is because it is true. It's a laying down of myself. It's a laying down on myself. But if you got a glimpse of just who Jesus was, His glory, His love, His grace, His omnipotence, His power, His ability just to wrap His arms around you and do the journey of life. If you could see Him in His glory, let me tell you right now, you'd lay your life down in a second. You would lay it all down in a second. You would lay everything down. Oh, Graham, what, what do I need to do to have this eternal life? Jesus said, Believe. 
God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever should believe. So the practices don't save us, guys. Only the work of the cross saves us. But these practices probably keep us saved, continue to transform our soul and our life. Are you saved? Are you accepted? Are you forgiven? Did you know that today could be that day? Did you know this very moment? I don't even know who I'm talking to right now. Uh, It could be anyone in the room and you're just like, actually, truth be known, I just totally disconnected. Totally disconnected from God. He loves you. Oh, Graham, I'll come back next week and I'll, I'll respond to this invitation of salvation because I'll do a week of cleaning up my act. Do you think if you could clean up your act on your own, you would have done it already? Why do you think you need to clean things up before God's gonna accept you? Why don't you just accept His love for you and see what He might do with the rest of you? Why don't we just believe He might actually do the transforming work as we walk in His love and His forgiveness and His acceptance? And right now, I do wanna pray a prayer for anyone here that does not know Jesus and is not born again. You can be born again today. The Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, can come alive in you and bring about a regeneration to be truly human again. And I don't know who I'm talking to. It might just surprise everyone. It might surprise you that today you say, Graham, I need that. I'm, I'm not walking with Jesus. I don't know Him personally. I don't sense I'm reconciled to God. I've never accepted His forgiveness. I'm gonna pray a prayer. So I want everyone to close your eyes and bow their heads. And I want you to follow this prayer along with me. Very simple prayer of salvation. But when it comes from your heart, If you were to lay down your life today, if you were to like lay it all on the line, say, Jesus, I need you in my life. And Jesus, I ask you to come. Then I'm gonna pray a prayer. I'm gonna pray a prayer. And Lord, I just ask you right now, just move across this room. Sweep, Lord God, into hearts and lives, the ones you love, the ones you know, the ones you so want to know you too. Eyes closed, heads bowed. Just follow this prayer, okay? It's real simple, but pray it from your heart. Say, dear Father God, I come before you today, just as I am. I've heard today of Christ's love, His death on a cross and resurrection. I come before you to receive forgiveness and to receive your life. I ask you, Come in, live in me and make me alive to you. And Holy Spirit, I welcome you into my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's put our hands together. Amen. Jared, over to you, bud. Amen. We trust you enjoyed this message. And if you're wondering what the next step in your faith journey looks like, please get in touch. You can either visit our website or email us at info at annasbrook.co.nz.